Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It is a almost fallish like Tuesday out there, Rhino. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I mean, it's right around the corner. <laughs> okay, I'm hoping so. It's beautiful out there. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Nice weather, but it's uh, typical for this time of year. October and May would uh, be my favorite months of the year here in Mississippi. If we could just have that weather year-round. Some folks wouldn't like that, like the hunters, for example, right? That's not conducive to that. Yeah, there aren't many uh, deer hunters that have deer hunting equipment and clothing that would be suitable for this particular weather like you might be fine in the mornings or near dusk but probably be a little warm in the stand or shoot house <laughs> around noon i got you well a lot of stuff going on uh, across the country in the great state of mississippi on the program today paige roberts president and ceo of the jackson county chamber of commerce and representative manley barton represents District 109 that consists of George and Jackson counties, the father of Kenan Barton. And we'll talk about Paige's op-ed, the need to have more teachers like Kenan. Also, it's Chris Blunt, Executive Director of the Wilson Research Foundation at Methodist Rehab Center. It's Rehab Awareness Week in Mississippi. Look forward to those conversations. That's coming up at 11.05, by the way. So, um, interesting, I thought, interesting article in the Washington Times entitled, For the Love of God, Senators, Keep Your Clothes On, (laughs) referring to, of course, the concessions made by Chucky Schumer, Senate Majority Leader the Democrat from New York. He has changed the dress code rules, if you haven't heard, folks, in the U.S. Senate. Now, one would have to honestly believe this is an effort to accommodate the senator from the great state of Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, Senator John Fetterman, 
And just like everything a Democrat tries to do in government, it's all about their buddy and not about the people actually doing the work. Because the senators get a pass on the dress code, but none of their staff or anybody that works underneath them, they all still got to be dressed to the nines. That's absolutely true. Thank you for that clarification. Now, personally, I believe the U.S. Senate is a place where serious business should be conducted, the people's business. Maybe I'm old school because I don't agree with this. I'm not changing my view on it, though. I still think it's appropriate. When you're in the U.S. Senate, you should, you should dress professionally, business-like, like you're ready to do business. Schumer looks like a joke. Let's just be, uh, not Schumer, Fetterman, pardon me. Schumer is a joke, Oh, yeah, Schumer course. looks like a joke, too. But <laughs> it that's was a, for a different reason. It's a Freudian slip. But is this not more of an example of the tyranny of the minority? In this case, it's 1%. It's John Fetterman. So... I don't know. In the old days, you know, people talked about tradition and decorum, dress codes specifically. We talked about modesty. Well, along those lines, what's next? You'll show up naked for the Senate? Don't suggest it to Fetterman. He might do it. I mean, if they really want to have a, a fun protest that doesn't really mess with the, the ideals of modesty, the Republican senators should all just show up in togas. <laughs> toga, toga. That'd be awesome. Oh, my gosh. It's like the old bit of, it's from the article, it's like the old bit of wisdom from a wise woman. What is worse than waking up in bed next to Willie Nelson? Finding out it's not Willie Nelson. <laughs> Jeez, I... This is terrible. The, the U.S. Senate is known as the world's greatest deliberative body. The framers structured our system of government such that the U.S. Senate was to function as the cooling saucer. Remember that, that language? The cooling saucer of government. Those wild folks over there in the House do all kinds of crazy, impulsive stuff, and they send it to the Senate. They transmit legislation, proposals to the Senate. And those senators, the upper chamber, they're supposed to cool down the rebels in the House. I hope you're happy, Pennsylvania. You should be ashamed, totally ashamed, to send this guy to the U.S. Senate. Well, therein lies the rub. Democrats have no shame. Just look at all the bride parades. That's true. Well, how about this? I caught this this morning. This is really abhorrent. Up there in New York City, you know where that is, of course. Well, in New York, it's no secret that they are experiencing incredible, out-of-control crime. Streets aren't safe. People are afraid, often, just to walk the streets of New York. The homeless illegals overwhelming the city, to the point where the mayor, the Democrat mayor of New York, said, hey, something's got to give here. 
what he said a couple of weeks ago. This is going to forever transform the city of New York. Dude, we've been telling you guys that with respect to the border for years. You supported this open border nonsense while telling us, oh, no, the border's closed. It's the most secure ever. That's what Corrine Jean-Pierre tells America. They just passed a budget in June already in the red by billions. So what are the priorities of the New York City Council? Well, we've got to remove the statues of George Washington, Peter Stuyvesant, and Christopher Columbus because of their, quote, controversial pasts. Oh, yeah. Let's put that at the top of the list. All while praising Karl Marx, who raped his maid. (laughs) That's true. Your schools are failing. Your streets are unsafe. You're producing record deficits in your budget. Drugs out of control. Unbelievable. And this is what you're meeting about. This is what you're discussing. This is what you're prioritizing. I can't help but think about the discussion we had yesterday concerning a letter I received addressed to me as the chairman of the board of Empower Mississippi. A person had gone out to our website and noticed what they felt was the lack of diversity on our board and staff. No mention or concern or discussion whatsoever about the work, the mission, the achievements, the goals of the organization. That's very secondary, you know. What's most important is we got to check all the boxes so that we can prove that we Embrace diversity. Now, this person doesn't know me from Adam, arguably. And this is another situation where nuance is important. You can, you cannot be a racist and be so-called colorblind, which, of course, is considered racism, as we've talked about. But you can conduct yourself so that you do not discriminate based on race, but still oppose forced diversity, forced inclusion. I can support law enforcement, but oppose police abuse, police brutality. Those two can coexist. We now seem to live in a society where everything is just so binary. Well, you can't do that. You've got to just oppose the whole deal. We've got to dismantle it. It's because liberals and leftists are so brain dead that added extra layer of nuance is too much for their tiny brains to compute. It's ridiculous. And it, uh, it's harmful to society, this lack of nuance, this lack of discernment, this lack of just practical, rational judgment is a problem. I'll talk more about this on the other side of the break. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbs. What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. thinking about or planning for retirement, do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And boy, do you ever need some guidance managing your assets these days, Rhino, because that stock market is hopping around like the old kangaroo, as you describe it, the Dow... Looks like it's poised for a, a another losing day, presently down 246 points. The NASDAQ also down. All three indexes are in the red. The S&P down 29 points. And the NASDAQ, let's see, down 117. And here's what's got investors all up in a tizzy. You got the UAW who says, you guys don't take this deal we're going to contact more locals. That would be more of the local union organizations in other cities uh, who, who essentially comprise the workforce at other auto plants. And they're going to shut them down. Right now it's three. And the head dude of the unions who's orchestrating all this says, we got more if you don't approve this deal. And uh, so that's weighing on investors' minds, as is inflation. Still a problem. Price of gas, by the way, last I checked, oil, now $93. I have predicted for a while that we're looking at $100 a barrel. You know how what happens when that price rises to that level. Ain't no fun at the pump. That's where we're headed, I do believe. And this is because we have a president and the Democrat Party in general that celebrates, celebrates this precipitous rise in the price of gasoline and fossil fuels. Meanwhile, these EVs that Ford and others are making, rotting on the lots. Just not practical. Not practical. Yet we have a president that says, we're going all EVs. And the unions, they ought to be directing their frustration, their, their concerns about their wages keeping up with inflation to Washington, to the White House. The guy who said he's the most pro-union president ever, over and over again. And every time, Rhino, he addresses unions in groups, he lies about all kind of stuff related to his experience with unions. I drove a truck and I did this. No, you didn't. Oh, my gosh. So, I get it. Their wages aren't keeping up with inflation. Well, look to Washington. Go look to the most pro-union president ever. He's the one that put you in that pickle. <laughs> 
And he's also forcing your employer to make stuff people don't want to buy. And guess what happens as that trend progresses? They're going to set these factories up in right-to-work states, such as Mississippi, to make these EVs that the government's forcing on Americans, and they're not going to be unionized. You look at those three plants right now that are shut down, I'm going to make a prediction. Three to five years, the plants will shut down permanently. You won't have a job there then, Mr. Union Man. You're going to move to Mississippi and accept more reasonable terms and conditions like you don't have the kind of power you do today? See, I get it. They're all mad because these automakers have experienced considerable profits the last couple of years. That's true. Why? Because the federal government ran the debt up by about $14 trillion, dropping money out of helicopters, enabling people to go buy cars. That's why. Oh, but guess what? That boosted inflation considerably. And now your wages won't keep up. But the management of these car manufacturers know, you know what? Times have been pretty good the last couple of years because of government financial support. But when the other shoe drops, when interest rates get to a point where nobody buys cars, nobody has all this helicopter money to go spend on things like vehicles, then what? Nobody cares then. They start losing big money. Just like you hear the president Blasting the oil companies, record profits. But when they shut the economy down during the pandemic, it was record losses. I didn't hear a word then. That's the way business works. So if I'm running these auto manufacturers, you know what I'm thinking? I better save my money. You go agree to this permanent 40% pay increases and define benefit pension plans and egregious health care, even for those who have retired, aren't even working for you. That's one of the one of the demands they have. You gotta pay for the health care for the people that worked here twenty years ago. They never think about that. That, you know, you just can't assume everything and that's the problem, is it not? They think any company, any individual who achieved financial success well, it's, it's just permanent. They can afford it. That's what they say all the time. But you know what? When things reverse and they're losing big money or they're struggling financially, nobody's around. So you make these permanent long-term commitments. And then two years later, because... Business has declined substantially. Now you got to go back to the unions and say, hey, please back off so we can stay in business. So the unions ought to be directing their frustration to Washington. It is Washington that caused this ridiculous inflation, and that's why your wages aren't keeping up. It's not your employer. And your employer knows the good times they had the last couple of years not going to continue. It's just 
basically how business works. Those are the normal ebbs and flows and business cycles that the people making laws in Washington don't comprehend. Because their cushy gig continues on without interruption. They don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about making ends yeah, they, meet. They never get penalized for laziness or incompetence. Hell, we re-elect them, sadly. I mean, Bernie Sanders got kicked out of a hippie commune for being lazy. <laughs> and look where he is. A hippie commune. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, and then the other big thing weighing on investors is well, it looks like we're poised for a government shutdown. Right now, if you put the continuing resolution on the floor in the U.S. House, votes aren't there to pass it. That means shutdown. You've got members of the House that are threatening to oust Speaker McCarthy. Representative Sparks said he's a weak speaker. And I know there are a lot of people out there that say, yeah, just let it shut down. I, I get it. I understand the frustration. Spending's out of control. Got to do something. Got to start somewhere. I'm with them. But here's my fear. If it shuts down, it'll start in the House. Guess who controls the House? The Republicans. Guess who will get blamed for it? Republicans. Guess what happens? It doesn't matter. The Republicans are going to get blamed for any shutdown that ever happens. That's true. and that's But that's the point. And so... Because what, the mainstream media believes the Demo, the Democrats should have a rubber stamp. Agree. And no matter how stupid they are. And no interest whatsoever on their part to rein in spending. Zero. None. Representative Victoria Sparks, another worthless Congress, calls McCarthy a weak speaker. And she's a Republican from Indiana. So he's got a divided conference. And they're unwilling to fully back a continuing resolution proposal. And so the point is, this is weighing on the minds of investors. Because if we get a government shutdown, you watch that Dow. Don't check your 401k plans on that day, if that happens. Because it's going to plummet. And I don't know what it's going to take to get things on track. Now, what I support is regular order. These continuing resolution garbage, we got to stop that. We need to pass... 12 separate bills to fund the discretionary function of the federal government. That's regular order. Let's return to regular order. It ain't that hard. We're stepping aside for a break right now. Coming back with Paige Roberts and Representative Manley Barton. Stay with us. She's in love with me and I feel Adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, live from the Element Well Studio. Welcome to the program now. Paige Roberts, President and CEO of Jackson County Chamber of Commerce, and Manley Barton, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives. He represents District 109. That includes George and Jackson Counties. Paige, Manley, good to have you guys on this morning. Good to be here. Good, good morning. Here. Thank you. All right, so... Manly, um, very sorry for your recent loss of your son, Kenan Barton, a teacher in uh, Ocean Springs and a beloved teacher, we might add. And Paige, you recently wrote an, an article entitled Teach Like Kenan, reflecting on the life of the former Ocean Springs educator. It was a great piece that you wrote, and honestly, uh, Kenan, though I didn't know him, Manly sure seems like that he really personified excellence in education um, and and being a father of a daughter who's been an educator for some nine years. I hear all these stories, of course, of what happens in the classroom and in, in uh, the public school environment. We definitely need more Kenans. Talk about the article, Paige. Oh, well, sure. Um, I actually didn't know Kenan either, but I've known Manley and his wife, Sarah, for years and attended the memorial service and spoke to several of his students who were in line with me and sat near me about the impact that Kenan Barton made on them. And I was just so touched by the impact of who he was and and what he did for these young people that I was moved to write this piece as a way of bringing attention to um, uh, the need for more teachers, especially in the state of Mississippi. So, uh, Manley, some of the uh, the comments from uh, colleagues of Ken, and I'll, I'll just read one for you here. To know Mr. Barton was to know one of God's greatest creations. He was my rock, my best friend, my idol, and everything in between. I believe that's actually from a student at Ocean Springs High School. Manly, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I see the sorts of praise that uh, have been showered on Kenan is that you and your wife did an excellent job of raising a son here. Well, we uh, we did our best, <laughs> and that's all you can do was, as a parent, as you know. That's all you can do. You can do right. your best, and, and and it took him a while to realize what he wanted to do. But he absolutely loved teaching. He loved teaching. He um, uh, just a very 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 quick comment. We actually he and and his son and myself had played golf. The, the, the day of the accident. Yeah. This was during the day, obviously, and the accident was that night. And and during our round of golf, and this was only like 10 days after school had been out, he was already excited and telling me what he was planning to do next year. Unbelievable. Um, and so he he loved the students. He loved the environment there at, at, at where he was at Ocean Springs. Um, he, I think, got along great with the teachers there. And... Uh, he just he just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed being with the students and helping them uh, helping them learn helping them be creative. I think one of the quotes was that he 
he helped them find their voice, and and that was that was him. He he always smiled. He had a big had a real uh, big sense of humor. Uh, he was funny. He he just he loved life, and he loved he loved what he was doing, and he had found his niche in life, and and really was passionate about it. Yeah, and you know, Manly, uh, your point about loving life and and being funny, uh, gosh, it it means so much when you have teachers that do have a sense of humor and sort of have this multifaceted personality that has such a positive impact on students. You can work hard, you can play hard, you just got to take care of your business, and you make learning so much more fun, so much more gratifying and interesting, you're likely to learn more. And and it sounds to me like that's the kind of teacher Kenan was. Well, I, that's the feedback we've gotten. You know, and, and of course, we're very, very proud of uh, of of who he became as an adult, as yeah. as a parent, as a husband, and as a teacher. Absolutely, Paige, um, Ocean Springs High School English Department Chair Shonda Bourne said that uh, Kenneth Barton was known as the quote tool man. Explain what that means. Yes, I thought it was an interesting um, moniker, and she said it was because he seemed to have every tool needed, whether it was an emotional issue or an educational issue or a physical issue, he seemed to have the tools to help solve the problem. Um, And to go back to what you were saying about um, how meaningful the the sense of humor is or the personality of the teacher. You know, I did a lot of research on the teaching shortage and and on teaching in doing this article. And and really the number one most critical component to success in the classroom is the teacher. It's not the technology. It's not the fancy classroom or, you know, the things. It is the teacher, and and I just think that Kenan poured his soul into them the way he did with his music and his art, and and that he just came across as real. And teenagers have a really great BS radar, <laughs> and they can see through uh, fakery right away. But that was not Kenan. Kenan was real, and he loved those kids. Manly, did Kenan ever talk to you about uh, some of his experiences in the classroom? Maybe it was a, a troubled child, a troubled student that he was working with and took a special interest in and was, was trying to just improve their lives? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. He, uh, he, uh, he kind of he joked about the fact that some students who gave other teachers problems did not give him any problems, and, <laughs> you know, and 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 they would say, well, you know, in a, in a maybe in a teachers' meeting or whatever, in some environment, they would say, well, so and so is giving me problems, and Kenan said, well, he's fine in my class, you know, and, <laughs> and they would say, well, would you talk to him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, I know one of the teachers had told me uh, the weekend uh, of the service that uh, some of the people called him the whisperer because he was he could take a a kid that wasn't, you know, real, real good in other classes, and Kenan would talk to him, and he'd, he'd straighten up a little bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he did have a way of connecting to kids, and he was proud of that. He was very proud 
that the kids came to him, confided in him, talked to him uh, about their issues and this type of thing. So, yeah. um, but well, he, um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that shows the sort of respect he had, the sort of rapport. Uh, that he had with the uh, with the students and and as well from the other teachers who said, "Hey, would you help out here?" So, um, man, you got to be proud of that because that that really makes him stand out, you know, among his colleagues. When uh, there's no greater form of respect, in my view, than than from your peers, your colleagues themselves, and that says an awful lot. Uh, Paige, we do need more Kennens. You've probably in doing your research, you've seen that. The state of education in our country is is not great. It's it's on the decline. We learned a lot about it, exposed a lot of the deficiencies during the pandemic. The other thing I think it's fair to say we learned is that it's just you don't have the same uh, level of uh, of learning uh, via a computer screen as you do when you're in a classroom and and a teacher, especially one who you like to be around, you respect, you look forward to being in their class, such as Cannon. That makes a huge impact. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what I'm hoping that while this piece, oh, sorry, while this piece memorializes uh, Kenan, I, I hope in a, in a lovely way, it, that it inspires people to think about teaching. I taught journalism, actually, after being a reporter hmm. for several years uh, at Pascagoula High School and developed the broadcasting class for the state of Mississippi. And I did that for five years. And and I say that to say that anyone can become a teacher, uh, that there is a route, whether it's the Mrs. Teacher Residency Program that I mentioned in the article or the alternate route that both Kenan and I took into the classroom. But there is a place for you and our young people and our communities need that desperately. No doubt. Paige, Representative Barton, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, I'll guarantee you that Kennan's legacy is going to live on, not only at Ocean Springs High School, but certainly within the state of Mississippi, and it should be an inspiration of Representative Manley Barton to you and your colleagues in the legislature to uh, keep up the good work in Mississippi public education. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Joe. We're, cut, we're stepping Thank aside. You. Thank you. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right. We are back. On Super Talk Mississippi. Middays, we're in the Element Well studio. Chris Blunt, executive director of the Wilson Research Foundation at Methodist Rehabilitation Center, joins Middays 
After the break at the top of the hour on the C Spire text line, Amanda from Pike County says, couldn't Fetterman find some elastic-waisted khakis and wear a pole and shrug on a blazer? Oh, gosh. It, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's disgusting, honestly. GOP needs to find better a better candidate than Dr. Mehmet Oz. That, of course, was who Fetterman defeated in the general election in the Keystone State of Pennsylvania. I agree. Oz was weak. It's hard to believe, though, that he's weaker than, than uh, Fetterman. I think what did Oz in is, you remember the ad when he went to the grocery store and was talking about the price of romaine lettuce? He's in a suit. Or was he gr- looking for crudite? That's what it was. But as he was looking for it, remember he picked up the romaine lettuce and he was talking about the price of it. Who who counseled him? Who recommended he do that ad? The same person that tells every politician that wants to get down home to go stand next to a grill that's obviously not lit, <laughs> covered with frozen meat. Uh, that's true. McCormick would have smoked Fetterman had Trump stayed out of the race, says Thomas and Greenwood. I I think uh, that's that's not so far off of being a plausible theory, honestly. I do think it would have had a better chance. I agree with you on that, Thomas. Thomas also sent an article talking about the letter that um, I received that we've been discussing. This was uh, the screenshot from the New York Times. How can I cure my white guilt? Well, let's be honest. When you got the New York City Council, the governing body of the largest city in these United States, it's all focused on tearing statues down. Not the crime on the streets. Not the homeless population overwhelming the city streets. Not the migrant crisis that are living in the hotels and the schools and the public facilities. Even the townspeople who were generally Democrat got in AOC's face the last few days and said, you don't, her down. Yeah, you don't care about us. It's true. It's absolutely true. It's just such misplaced, misguided priorities. You're bleeding money to the tune of billions. If I'm not mistaken, and it stands to reason, the city of New York's budget is considerably larger than the state of Mississippi. But, I mean, when you think about the population relative to the state of Mississippi, it makes sense. But it's poorly managed. They're in the red. And they're talking about tearing statues down. It's just incomprehensible. All in the name of some sort of silly, virtue-signaling, politically correct, goofy nonsense. And their infrastructure is literally crumbling. That's true. It's another good point. There have been at, at least two, maybe even three, although the third one looked like just this second one from a different angle. Videos that have gone viral on social media now of people walking down the sidewalk and noticing a, a big crack and then playing with it a little bit, and all of a sudden there's a hole in the sidewalk. Yeah. That is absolutely true. The, the underground uh, water and sewer system crumbling. Most cities in this country are. So take Jackson and multiply it by a thousand, right? That's what you got in New York. In terms of infrastructure there. You're totally right. Don't you wish the Democrats had the capacity to be insulted, says Bo. 
<laughs> well, they're insulted all the time. It's just not for anything worthwhile. They're uh, constantly offended by your mere existence. Yep, totally agree. So, uh, just back on this um, this this letter, and and I'm I'm using the letter really just as an example of a broad sentiment in this country that with where organizations just make this huge deal out of reporting. We got X percentage of this is this demographic versus that. Not, I mean, it's just playing this game of chess like the president did when he appointed his candidate. And so a couple of people went to Twitter to do a little trolling, and that's because Supertop Mississippi posted yesterday a clip of a little bit of my rant where I said that I disagreed with the concept of forced diversity, that I thought it did more harm than good. And a couple of people who follow that took exception to it, and that's fine. I'll talk about that um, later on in the program. Also, Gary in the Berg weighed in with some thoughts that that uh, I had as well with respect to this whole concept of and notion of diversity. But it's time for a break. Fox News, Super Talk News coming your way. When we return, it's Chris Blunt, Executive Director of the Wilson Research Foundation at Methodist Rehab Center. It's Rehab Awareness Week in Mississippi. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio. We welcome now Chris Blunt, Executive Director of the Wilson Research Foundation at Methodist Rehabilitation Center. Chris, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So uh, it's my understanding that this is Rehab Awareness Week in the state of Mississippi. Is that correct? It's the National Rehab Awareness Week. Okay, we celebrate. Okay. Yeah, it's I a national it celebration, and this is a time we call out uh, and thank rehab providers, therapists, nurses, the physicians, everybody who does the work of rehab to restore abilities across the country in rehab hospitals. Okay. So the Methodist Rehab Center opened in 1975. 1975. Right? So we're coming up on our 50th pretty soon, and uh, we treat on average about 1,650 inpatients in our rehab hospital. So that involves intensive therapy, at least three hours a day, one-on-one -on -one with different therapists, overseen by a rehab physician. Rehab is all we do, and we're you know our, our business, our mission is restorabilities. Yeah, and so the data I have suggests that uh, about 75% of those who undergo rehabilitation uh, with the organization return home. Absolutely. And that's amazing when you see who comes through our doors. I mean, these are many catastrophic cases spinal cord injury, stroke, traumatic brain injury, other severe neurological conditions. So to return 75% to home is, is amazing. And it, it's much higher than other, le other levels of cares, for instance, like a skilled nursing facility. So we return folks to home, we return them home faster. Uh, they have a lower mortality. 
they're able to get back to their lives, and, and many of them. So uh, it, it, it's, it's an honor to do what we do. Is the Methodist Rehab Center the only of its kind in the state of Mississippi? There are other rehab hospitals that are part of a bigger hospital, uh, Forest General in Hattiesburg, for instance, North Mississippi Medical Center in Tupelo, where a floor or a part of a floor is an inpatient rehab. And inpatient rehab means something. It means you have to have a rehab specialist doctor caring for you on the floor. You have to provide a minimum of three hours of one-on-one therapy a day, speech therapy, physical, occupational therapy, other other disciplines, so multidisciplinary approach. Okay, and so uh, physical, occupational, and speech, right, and that, that pretty much That's makes right. up the staff That's, of therapists? Yes, and there's also respiratory therapy, neuropsychology, yeah. and in Methodist Rehab we do research, so we okay. do clinical research. That's my role. I'm over the research foundation, so it's human research, past patients or the subjects. We're trying to figure out better ways to rehab people, better ways to restore morbidity, so it's walking, use of arm and hands, controlling muscle spasticity, uh, so we're, we have uh, a fantastic research program, 320, 330 published studies to date, somewhere between that number. So uh, I'm assuming then that a, a good reason for uh, carving out a week mm-hmm. nationwide is to recognize these therapists, these people that work in this industry. It's a calling. It, it, you notice it when you walk into Methodist Rehab. There's a spirit of caring, and these people are called to – I mean, this is hard. These people have been through this traumatic, life-altering deal. And uh, our therapists push people to realize their goals. It's individual plans for the families and for the patients, and we try to push them as hard as we can through inpatient and outpatient phases of care. We have outpatient programs that people are with us for a long time sometimes to realize those goals, to return to school or work or whatever their goals may be. So what about your work? Force. How are you doing with respect to staffing? Oh, that's a great question. We did relatively well during the pandemic. That wasn't fun for any hospital. Sure. You know, people it was disruptive on a lot of levels. People had to leave work to care for loved ones or move, what have you. But we never had to use a staffing agency for nursing. We have a lot of long tenured people, and we have specialist nurses, specialist therapists who've gone on to earn advanced certification. So. Our turnover isn't bad, and we were able to manage through the pandemic, and now we're, we're in really good shape workforce-wise. Okay. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about anything in healthcare without discussing finance, sure. the economic aspect of it. So I assume that most of your coverage or most of your care is covered sure. by Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance, the, the typical uh, payers of healthcare services. Is it sometimes difficult to get approval for some of these services? Oh, you better believe it. Uh, with the n- newer Medicare Advantage plans, the initial denial, because you have to get pre-approved for yeah. rehab services, yeah. the initial denial rate for inpatient rehab is as high as 75%. Jeez. For us, it's probably running somewhere in the 60s percent. Now, that's the initial denial. You can appeal that, but that adds time. And if you're in an acute care hospital and they're trying to move you on, you're mm-hmm. stabilized, mm-hmm. that's a big deal if, if you're Medicare Advantage plan won't approve your rehab. So we're all over that. We're advocating for change for that. We've been in touch with our congressional delegation. Uh, they're very aware. And, and nationally, this is a problem. And I think we're making some progress on that by calling attention to it. But uh, we're trying to advocate for patients to their right to inpatient rehab. 
So in, in those cases, are sometimes patients kind of put on hold? Their care's delayed until you get approval, or do you go ahead and take them in and fight it later? How's that work? Uh, usually we try to work it out before they come. There, there have been occasions where we could bring them in, uh, you know, sh- short of that. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes the, uh, the referring hospital will keep them an extra day or two, try to help us work that out. Yeah. What's the source of funding for the Methodist Rehab Center? Well, uh, uh, Medicare and Medicaid, that's going to combine for about over 70% of the business, then private insurance. We also do uh, a good bit of charity care. We are located on the UMC campus. It's a, it's a 501c3 nonprofit hospital. We're on the UMC campus, and we, we do have a good number of charity, about 150, 160 charity patients a year. Some of those we're able to enroll in Medicaid, but uh, but others, you know, we just take as charity paid. We have a charity policy for spinal cord injury and brain injury. If, if we exhaust all avenues for insurance coverage, we'll We'll, we'll just lean on our policy, and we'll do it. We'll handle it. Yeah, let me rephrase that question. Okay. Uh, uh, don't receive any state appropriations. Is no. that correct? So no. there's no there's no sliver of money or slice of money that comes from the state general fund that is appropriated to Methodist Rehab. Is that correct. right? And none from the Methodist Church. We're asked that sometimes, too. <laughs> the Methodist Church started Methodist Rehab, and that's a good okay. Methodist thing to do to start hospitals. But there's no ownership or governance relationship there. We have a great affiliation with the Methodist, the United Methodist Church, but, uh, but no money from the church or from the state. How did the patients come to Methodist Rehab? How did they get referred? From? That's a great – that's a referral from an acute care hospital. Okay. Their goal at acute care is to stabilize the patient, and then we, we are called if the physicians involved believe that patient needs comprehensive rehab and that they would could you know gain function from comprehensive rehab then we're called in yeah uh, is is the problem particularly acute in Mississippi just as a result of kind of our overall poor quality of health relative to other states you mean in, in the, the types of patients we yes, see yeah sure we're in the stroke belt I mean we have uh, the highest mortality from stroke at about four and a half percent I think we're tied with Alabama on that unfortunate stat so uh, certainly we we have you know high hypertension rates of smoking and and so on. So uh, so that factors in to the severity of strokes we see, and certainly we have high rates of uh, brain injury and, and spinal cord injury as well. So you've got uh, Matt Branch. Tell us about that. Yeah, Signing sign his book today. Yeah, Matt was an LSU player. He 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 actually jokes about uh, being sh- the only guy he knows that was shot by his dog. His his hunting dog stepped on a gun that was in the bed of his truck while on a hunting trip. And uh, shot his leg. And long story short, he had a high-level amputation and uh, went through an amazing, uh, difficult experience in, in rehab. And one wow. of our patients lives in, in northeast Louisiana. Coming today at noon at Methodist Rehab, he's signing his book. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's a great book. It spent uh, several weeks as the n- number one best uh, new release on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Incredible. Hmm. And if someone wanted, uh, uh, Chris, to learn more about the success stories? Go to our uh, website. Uh, yeah. It's it's methodistonline.org. Also, uh, social media is at Methodist Rehab, and uh, you will see amazing, brief stories about recovery and hope that will inspire you. Also, if you want to support our foundation, it's a donor-supported foundation, and we'd love for you to – all that information is there on the site. Is there a bit of bonding that sort of occurs within the patient community that uh, that you guys treat? Absolutely. We have support groups, uh, formal support groups, but people will come back 
back to, to get checkups, come back for an outpatient therapy tune-up. Our orthotics, our prosthetics patients, our amputees, they have to come back for adjustments yeah. uh, all the time. So we, we have points of contact with people, and uh, we just have a, a great community that, that supports what we do. And most of our donors have a, a connection. They had a family member or know somebody who's uh, been helped in a significant way by what we do. Well, incredible. So uh, looking at the staffing, 54 registered nurses, 50 therapists, is that right? Yeah, about 50 therapists, inpatient and outpatient. Uh, These are PTs, OTs, speech. Many of them have advanced certifications in neurologic care. Uh, And so uh, it's just a great workforce. Yeah. Chris, appreciate you coming in and talking about Methodist Rehab uh, Center, the great work being done there, and also recognizing Rehab Awareness Week across the country, including here in the great state of Mississippi. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Gerard. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. I always have to think about the television series set in the Vietnam era, Tour of Duty. That was the theme song. That was a great show. Really missed that. Well done. I read some critical commentary back in its day where some actual Vietnam soldiers and those who served during that era in country were interviewed, said it was a fairly accurate depiction of the war, which is uh, certainly, a, I think, a stain on America's past. It was just a war that we didn't know what the heck the goal was. Root out communism! Well, don't think that sending troops into that country was the way to do that. We ultimately lost that goal, you could say. South Vietnam fell into the hands of North Vietnam, and they swiftly implemented communism, as Lyndon Johnson used to say. So we were talking earlier about the Dow, which is now down 268, because investors are concerned that the government can't get their act together, and we're poised for what could be 
a government shutdown scheduled to take a vote on Thursday in the House. In the meantime, we got the UAW, which is really, to me, making powerful points about the failure of Bidenomics. Union members say that they haven't had a cost of living increase in more than 20 years. And it probably wasn't that big a deal, except when you got the cost of living rising so sharply since Joe Biden's been in office. He runs around telling the country how great everything is. Bidenomics is working. All that sort of stuff. So investors are pretty worried about the UAW shutting down the big three car makers, or at least those plants, which are presently shut down, but it could extend much further. That is the threat from the union boss that orchestrated all of this. And uh, this would be a stain on Joe Biden's record, in my view. But I still maintain that they're making some pretty good points for the failure of Bidenomics. Also, Kevin McCarthy says there's still time to pass a spending bill as both parties object to this stopgap approach, which is just passing a, what's called a continuing resolution. That simply means we just keep on going the way we are without really debating a budget and passing the 12 separate bills that fund the discretionary function of government without ramming it through uh, a continuing resolution or worse, an omnibus bill. That's the way we did it last time, $1.7 trillion. Remember, that required Republican senators to get on board past that. One of our senators, Roger Wicker, was among those. And remember, there were a number who also signed on to that bill, that measure, in December of 22, who were quite arrogant flipping about it. They got big-time earmarks, said, I'm out of here, I don't care. Senator Shelby from Alabama is the one that comes to mind. Yeah, I'm just going to go home and take orders from my wife running errands and so forth. I don't care. He got $660 million of earmarks, topped the list. In fact, the top four on the list of the top ten measured in terms of earmarks were Republicans, retiring Republicans. This is how we end up with $33 trillion in debt. We just passed the $33 trillion mark yesterday, by the way. First time in history, no surprise, on a path to $50 trillion without significant change. I just don't see it. I don't see any significant change. I did read a detailed analysis from the Cato Institute, a conservative think tank. Read that yesterday. Their suggestions on balancing the budget. And though I think putting into practice as legislation their suggestions is a long shot, I am at least somewhat pleased that they touched on something we've talked about many times in the pro- on the program, which is you simply can't 
balance the budget without making some change in Social Security, Medicare, so-called, and Medicaid, so-called mandatory spending. Not going to do it without making some changes there. And they call for fairly significant uh, reform in those programs. In Social Security in, in particular, they say that the cost of living adjustments, something that is plaguing Mississippi's public employee retirement system, a.k.a. PERS, the acronym, they suggest that cost of living adjustments to Social Security should be tied to GDP and not inflation, not the CPI. So as an example, in this particular year, Social Security recipients were given an 8% cost of living adjustment to their benefits, their monthly benefits. Well, that's based on the calculation the agency uses, which, in, which uh, factors in inflation, the, the consumer price index. And so what the Cato Institute recommends is, well, let's tie it to GDP. Okay, well, then instead of getting an 8% increase, you get less than a 2% increase. Sure, that definitely helps. Don't think that's very popular with Social Security recipients. Your cost of living went up 8%. And honestly, that's just the way the CPI is calculated. It's actually up considerably more than that. But you're only getting a 2% or less than 2% raise. Not very popular. Um, And they also recommend substantial cuts to Medicare. They recommend substantial cuts to Medicaid. They recommend full elimination of the Affordable Care Act subsidy program, so-called Obamacare. Completely eliminate that. And then, of course, gutting of non-defense spending as well as defense spending on the discretionary side. So, yeah, all that combined could go a long way toward balancing the budget, if not achieving that lofty goal, but a lot of pain that's not very popular with the American people. Also, Representative Jody Arrington, House Budget Committee Chair, U.S. House, he just released a promising markup on a 10-year balanced budget proposal. He says won't touch Social Security or Medicare. Ten years, he says, we can balance the budget. Now, when you dig into that, he's right. Don't touch Social Security and Medicare. Pretty much eliminate Medicaid. Medicaid, just eliminate. So, transportation, his budget calls for, we've done this math on the program. So I'm pleased that somebody in the U.S. House is also explaining the math exercise to balance the budget. Arrington says we got to cut 70% from all other federal funding to leave Social Security and Medicare as is in order to balance the budget. So let's think about that. Cut 70% of defense. Cut 70% of Medicaid. Now what that means to the state of Mississippi 
is that we'd lose four and a half billion a year of Medicaid dollars. Four and a half billion. That's because we're too highly dependent on the federal government and specifically Medicaid, which is the biggest the, the biggest program in terms of federal funding in the state of Mississippi. Talking about 70%. Wow. I wonder if there's any folks out there in the medical, the healthcare world that are here in this proposal. 70%. That means more patient care, less money coming in on an already financially sick healthcare industry in the state of Mississippi. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studio. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. Light Orchestra. So we are back in the Element Wealth Studio. Let's see here on the C Spire text line. Got lots of text coming in. Hey, Gerard, since Nick Saban has introduced Sabanomics, he has brought Alabama home game tickets down 40% after this weekend. Maybe another 30% possible. He's a presidential contender. Well, the Rebels of Ole Miss will be headed into Tuscaloosa this coming Saturday for a big showdown with Nick Saban's Crimson Tide. I think they got a chance. I, uh, what's the latest line? It was seven. Isn't that what you said yesterday? Seven points. And that was your uh, your take on that was that's just a standard sort of home field advantage line. I tend to agree. What's it look like now? You got any update at that? Government will bail out the automakers again on the C Spire tax line. Yeah, it just depends on who's in Congress uh, at that time. Who's controlling the houses, the White House? Should that occur? Looks like the line is settled at seven and a half point favorites. Okay. For Bama. Alabama minus seven and a half. Ole Miss plus seven and a half. That means it's kind of a toss-up when you consider the home field advantage aspect. You know what? That home field advantage goes away pretty quick when uh, the visitor starts to gain a little momentum. The partisan home crowd tends to get a little quiet, thus you lose your home field advantage, I would say. You agree with that? Oh, yeah. It just... That that line almost feels a little low though because Ole Miss hasn't really been tested like they will be against Bama's defense. I agree. Although I'd say Bama's defense is not the defense of the past. True in Alabama, so just no way to tell at this point. But you know, my experience is those odds makers—they're pretty dang good, aren't they? They're pretty smart. 
The Dow just crossed the 300 mark. That's down at 300. Thanks, Joe. The NASDAQ now down 117. Yield on the 10-year treasuries. That is the percentage rate, the interest rate that is most pegged to the cost of consumer credit, such as mortgages, credit cards, etc. It is up today, 4.3 and change percent on the 10-year Treasury. That honestly is not great news for the mortgage industry. Crude oil, $92, close to $92, headed to 100 I believe. Joe's oblivious, absolutely oblivious about all this, celebrating this sharp rise in the price of crude oil and thus gas at the pump, because you you silly Americans will quit driving those cars, <laughs> using that gas. Unbelievable. Moe says the UAW is crazy if they think they're going to get a 40% pay raise and get paid 40 hours for a 32-hour work week. It does seem crazy, Moe's. I agree. We shall see where they land on this. I, you know, I don't know what the... I mean, on one side of the coin, if you're going to try to negotiate, you got to start big and walk it back. Sure. But it doesn't seem like they have any appetite to walk it back. It's their way or the highway. Agree. At least from the public-facing part of the union. That's what the, the union boss is saying. Who's that? Mr. Fain, I think, is that his name? That's orchestrating all this? And... Uh, He's saying to take this deal, or we're we're going to strike at more plants. We're contacting more locals to get engaged and join. Yeah, Sean Fain. Sean Fain, yes, smart guy, no doubt. I just disagree with this notion that they've just got to share. You know, let the market work is my, is my view on that. And I understand their grievance. These guys have, have produced some tidy profits. But again, I point out, where were you? Now, they did. I will make this, this comment. Years ago, when they were struggling, they did make some concessions because otherwise the whole thing would have shut down. It just wasn't economically sustainable. I'm not sure if that attitude exists anymore as it once did on the part of the unions. And it doesn't help when you've got a president that's running around blasting every company that makes a profit, they get mad about. You're making a profit. You can't do that. you got to share it. And they get into all this garbage about comparing the pay of the CEO to the line worker in the, in the plants and all that kind of crap. That's just irrelevant. And we've discussed that before. The decisions, the work product, the performance of that person on the line, no disrespect. They serve a, val- a valuable purpose. But the fact is, what they do or don't do doesn't have nearly the sweeping impact on that organization, the community, or the economy writ large, as does the person sitting in the CEO suite. And that's why they get paid more money. Just simple as that. American greed. People wonder why we build cars in Mexico. Yeah, there's no doubt that lots of large American companies have pushed operations, especially manufacturing operations, into other countries because the cost of labor is just too high. But you know why? Because the same people who support 
all these ridiculously high wages, also get mad about the cost of the stuff they buy. Well, that's why. There's a reason. And so, again, I say let the market sort this out. That's uh, kind of the way that, that needs to work, in my view. Fire all the UAW and hire the working Mexicans on the ceasefire text line. Well, remember when Ronald Reagan fired the air traffic controllers? That's a long time ago. Same deal. They struck, essentially shutting down air traffic in the country, and he didn't bend. The labor market's a little different today. There's no doubt. I agree. Automation exists in a way that did not exist back then either. No doubt. And you know these car companies are working feverishly on figuring out a way to uh, automate much of the tasks that are presently performed by unions who are looking for raises and want to work 32 hours, get paid for 40, and define pension plans. Uh, also, you you being the unions need to direct their frustrations at a president who wants to essentially convert the entire auto industry to one of EVs, which report after report suggests requires 40% less manual labor to produce. Just don't have as many moving parts in them. You don't need all those people on an assembly line. So that's on you, Joe. You were, And this is why I think, by the way, Rhino, that these plants that are currently striking won't even exist three or four years. The automakers, I mean, look no further than the Nissan plant here in Canton, just north of our position right now, converting the whole plant to EVs. That's the plan. Well, when you got a government saying, we're not going to let you drive fossil fuels-powered vehicles anymore, well, that's what you do. And this is just socialism. This is the government planning the economy. We're going to tell you what you're going to drive, rather than allowing choice. And this potential transition to occur naturally. It's the same with forcing all this renewable energy production all over the place. All kinds of problems with the windmills and and of solar panels and stuff like that. But is That's there... how you know they're not really serious about saving the planet or save the whales. Whales are dying because of their friggin' wind farms. Yeah, and birds as well. As you know, lots of bird strikes. And now that these things have aged a bit, all kinds of problems and money and costs associated with replacing the generators at the base of the windmills, that's starting to rear its ugly head. It's just just poorly thought out because you put this goofy political ideological agenda above just common sense economics and market forces. It's what happens when you think and vote with emotion and react with a knee jerk. That's true. And that's what we got going on. Totally agree. Move the auto industry to Mississippi. Well, I do think this opens up the door when you see more and more of this uh, union activity striking against the automakers. I, I think that's true. It opens up the door, and it probably is serving as an incentive, inspiration for the automakers to start thinking about relocating their operations. It's already been happening, honestly. That trend's been in place for a while. 
but locating their operations, their plants, their facilities in right-to-work states where they're not heavily unionized and and, uh, the workers are not compelled to join a union just because they go to work there. They have a choice. Imagine that. Choice. Well, we're taking a break. As Bill Haley in the comments bumps us out of this segment on middays, coming back. Whole hour and a segment left. Stay with us. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone, it's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. So, Ed in the Delta says, Gerard, I heard a clip yesterday of Bernie Sanders arguing for the UAW demands, and he based his support on something to do with AI and more robotics. I didn't hear it, but what was uh, he talking about? Uh, what is it? That, uh, the typical refrain we hear from uh, Senator Bernie Sanders there, Rhino. Give me all your money. <laughs> so, yeah, Ed, what what that was about was that he says that workers should reap AI benefits in the form of lowering the work week. Let's just work less now that we have AI, he says. Not let's leverage this tool to make us more productive, keep the same level of work, up and we'll produce a whole lot more. And guess what happens? We get wealthier when we get more productive. This nut doesn't seem to get that. Well, it's just another example of the circular logic of the losers on the left. Because you have one union striking saying, yeah, let us use AI to make our lives better. While you got the writers and the actors striking out in Hollywood, and their main complaint is the use of AI to make their (laughs) lives easier. That's so true. He says, quote, he said this on CNN's State of the Union over the weekend. This is Bernie Sanders. I happen to believe that, as a nation, we should begin a serious discussion about substantially lowering the work week. It's... Is this possibly related, do you think, Rhino, to this this narrative promoted by the left that a can-do attitude and hard work and striving for success, those are elements of, what, white European colonization? Is it related to that? Uh, partially. I mean, if you go back to... The push-button era, the nuclear age, the, the, the age of space exploration. There was an underlying feeling of technology is going to make life easier, and especially for those that are in the working class. And while it has, it hasn't delivered a, a panacea of, of ease to be introduced into their lives. So it, it feels like 
a broken promise that wasn't really a promise to begin with? It was just an ideal? Yeah, I think you're right about that. He says that... Uh, I haven't, uh, let's see, citing the parenting, housing, health care, and financial stress confronting Americans, it seems to me that if new technology is going to make us more productive society, a more productive society, the benefits should go to the workers. They it's, usually do. Yeah, what's he talking about? But like, you think know, about credit cards. It wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things where if you wanted to use a credit card at a store, they were going to have to make a phone call. That's true. Nowadays, you swipe it or insert it and just wait for the computers to do the work. There are infinite examples of how technology has improved the quality of life, productivity in society, just overall convenience of life. There are just countless examples of that. I mean, uh, going back to... When I was a kid, and my mother would have to, to uh, hang the clothes out on the clotheslines to dry. Just as a simple example. I don't think we had air conditioning in my house until I was like 12 or 13 or so. That's another example. It wasn't practical or affordable, honestly. I mean, those are, those are small examples. They just go down the list. Well, this is, this is just part of the plan. So These basically are, what the UAW strikers are saying is... Bring in the robots so I can sit there and eat Cheetos while I watch the robot do the work and still get paid without realizing it's going to cost money to bring in the robots to do the work, money that they would normally be paying you in wages to do the same work. So you're not going to get to sit on your butt and eat Cheetos watching the robot. You're going to be out on your butt with a pink slip. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 75%, surprising to me, this statistic, I saw this over the weekend, 75% of Americans support the striking auto workers. That was from a recent poll conducted by the Gallup organization. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this, uh, let's see, Sean Fain, that's the union boss, he told MSNBC on Sunday that progress had been mostly slow in the talks between his union and the car makers. Man, uh, Sanders, just stay out of the way. Uh, he's, he just he sees himself as a martyr getting involved. American people are sick and tired of corporate greed in which the very richest people are becoming richer. Says the guy with how many houses? I, okay, fine. So what? What are they doing illegal? What do you want to do? Step in the middle of it and say, nope, you can't have that. we got to give it to this person over here. I mean, that's their solution. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. A whole hour left on Middays in the Element Well studio. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. 
We thank you so much for joining us today. So I was uh, sharing earlier that uh, someone who who frequently, uh, I guess you could call it troll, but let's just say comments on Twitter uh, about some of our discussions here on the program. And this individual has done it many times before and often is, uh, I don't think, necessarily agrees with our points of view, but is respectful uh, in their disagreement, in their dissension with our points, and that's fine. And sometimes will even compliment to us, honestly. But this is what uh, they said yesterday. At GR Gibbert, that's my Twitter handle, missed the point. This is in sharing, by the way, little background, the post by Supertalk Mississippi, where on the program yesterday I simply said that I don't support the concept of forced diversity, that I think it does more harm than good. Now, I know that's not popular in a lot of circles in society that believe you absolutely have to have this, these sprawling DEI departments, and probably in my statement yesterday, I've got no chance of being a DEI czar, just so you'll know. I'm probably not going to be in the running for that. Uh, Well, it says that I missed the point that people should be hired based on merit, and extreme underrepresentation agrees with that. An extreme underrepresentation of black Mississippians suggests that that's not what Mississippi is doing. Goes on to say, it turns out that Tate, that would be Governor Tate Reeves, picks members of state boards based on, for example, who Brett Favre likes. That's your problem. What the heck are they talking about? They're talking out of their rear. Well. But that's typical for people that tend to disagree with us, they tend to talk out of their rear. I, I don't I don't follow that logic. I really don't. Because it doesn't contain any. Okay. Well, up under representation of black Mississippians, what are they talking about? Well, like in what in what area? What arena? And see here's the problem with it with this whole stuff about well, you only got two of them, but you got four of them and three of them and that kind of stuff. Because all they look at, you say it all the time, the melatonin content, right? Melanin, yeah. So a couple of other folks weighed in on this person's tweet. Let me read a couple of those. So just to be clear, he, the he is me, saying we need to coddle racists so they won't feel shame when they exclude minorities from leadership positions. Also, his definition of racism as discriminating against some, someone 100% because of their skin color is laughable. So 90% would be okay? Of course, completely misunderstood. I believe that's called a straw man. <laughs> exactly. When you don't actually have an argument against what they're debating, you have to create one that's easier to debate. What's laughable is that it's these people who maintain exactly what I tried to point out, that that there are people in society that make these decisions. Let's say it's hiring, promotion, board assignment, admission to college. Just go down the list. 
something, uh, how about procurement and award of contracts? These are the people that say, oh, they only lost because of their race or their gender or their sexual orientation, right? That they, they lost out in, for a job, for a promotion, for compensation, for award of a contract, for admission to college. It's they who say that, not me. I'm simply pointing out that if that were the case, yeah, you could construe that as discrimination based on race. But they never, never include in that discussion or never go beyond just the color of skin when they see people in these positions and say, hey, maybe it just happened because they lack some skills. It's the same argument about when we get into this stuff about pay disparity. They always have all these analyses and all these reports and all these fancy charts and graphs that shows, well, look, these people that of this particular race and sexual orientation and gender and so forth, they're making more than those. And, that, and that's trying to project this false straw man argument that, oh, that's strictly because of their race or their gender. Had nothing to do with anything else. I don't know, like qualifications, like performance, like merit, value, etc. No. They don't even want to bring that up. No, you just did it because of their race. It's just in the story. Case closed. Those people also tend to ignore those of Asian descent when they're trying to make their point. That's a good point. Look no further than Harvard, right? They were overwhelmed with Asians who just knock it dead when they take all the admissions exams and and in and in their high school performance. They're just as a as a demographic. They meet all the qualifications. And Harvard says, gee, we're getting too Asian like. We can't do that anymore. We can't let the most qualified people in school tomorrow's Research scientists, leaders in business, innovators. No, we can't do that. That's not fair. So people look at that and naturally say, oh, well, all these other demographics, they're losing out to this other group because strictly because of their race. And that's the point I'm making. Is that no, there's more to it than that. What we should be focused on is helping those people be lifted up. We need to help lift them up so that, that, they, that they can. And so you look at their circumstances that cause them to lag. That's what we need to be focused on. It's not about, not about this, their skin color. It's not about that. I certainly didn't care in my business career. Now, what this person probably doesn't know, and I don't, and I hope they're listening. I don't mind they're saying this. Not. Well, they'll maybe they'll pick it up somewhere. My company, I didn't have a DEI department. I didn't have some chief diversity officer, but I had a diverse team, diverse staff. So it happened naturally. Well, I said that yesterday, and this person says, "So how does it happen naturally?" Well, I tell you how it happens naturally. They apply for work, or they work in the company, and they excel, they get promoted, or they apply for work, 
and they're the best candidate, I don't care what their race is. Don't care what their gender is. Don't care what their sexual orientation is. You're the most qualified. That's the way it ought to work. So when I sold my company, not 2019, and we had people in numerous states that worked for us, the highest paid individual in the state of Mississippi was a black female of my staff of 70-something in the state of Mississippi. Well, you know what? It's not like I had this intentional force that said, I'm going to make sure this person makes more money than anybody else. No, it just happened naturally. You know why? Because she performed. She excelled at her job. She was an account manager. Earned most of her pay on variable commissions. Because she was a dang good account manager. Customers loved her. She took care of them. That's the... That's the formula for success as an account manager. But that required hard work and determination on her part. And she did. In fact, she would make an annual visit to to one of our customers, as as most of my account managers did, when they would plot their spending and their projects. Our folks would work with them for the coming year as they got their new budget. And every year, one uh, one of the chief information officers at one of her clients always looked forward to her, her visit for that meeting and would bake her a cake, caramel cake, from scratch. She knew I, she didn't actually like the caramel cakes, but knew I loved them. And she'd bring it home. Here, Gerard, my customer baked you a cake. And it got to be a ritual every year. And so when I would do my presentations to my sales team, I'd say, it's about baking cakes. And what I meant was, you get your customers to bake you a cake, you're in pretty good shape. That ought to be your goal when your customers are making you cakes, not you're bringing them donuts and cakes and goodies. All that's great. But when your customers are doing it for you, you're taking care of them. That's how it happens naturally. Do these fools not get that simple concept? Just treating people right like that? No, they're all ate up with stupidity and liberalism. Unbelievable. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Element Well Studios. So on the, on the ceasefire text line, someone asked what the average line worker makes. Talking about line workers in UAW factories, I believe, or car makers. And I don't see it now, Rhino. I can't see who it was that asked it. I apologize for that. But um, yeah, it's it's. 
in the nineteen to twenty dollar an hour range is the average. But yeah, you, entry level is eighteen, and you can work your way up to supervisor making thirty two an hour. Okay, but you got to add on to that that all the benefits they receive, but you also got to subtract the union dues they pay. So that would take a little work to dig all through that. To sit in an office and work 30 minutes a day. Yeah, Dan and Tate County, by the way, is who asked that, Dan. Also on the ceasefire text line, that's literally the first time I've ever heard and not read the word panacea, which you used a minute ago. Uh, uh, So, (laughs) rhino for the wind, panacea. It just means, like, Solve a problem in perfect form, so to speak. Just yeah, a solution the, for all problems. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, it can be used to, for disease as well. Panacea? Yeah. Okay. Like a, a, a cure all would be a panacea. Makes sense. Got you. Uh, the UAW president, Sean Fain, says. Every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. We can't keep electing billionaires and millionaires. Oh, you mean like Bernie Sanders? (laughs) That don't have any understanding what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck and struggle to get by and expecting them to solve the problems of the working class. This is such fake straw man horse hockey. This is ridiculous. This is another situation where these this man is evidently a left-wing loon as well, just is, makes this broad presumption that anybody and everybody who ever achieved any financial success didn't work, which is nonsense, never took risk, doesn't have any clue what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. I say you're full of junk. That is just not true. In fact, quite the opposite is true. The vast majority. There ain't but 700 billionaires in the country. The Meanwhile, va- the guy saying that takes home 12, 13,000 a month. Exactly. And uh, all he does is run around spouting this kind of crazy rhetoric that somebody writes up for him, of course. And what has Donald Trump got to do with this? Why, why has he got to bring that into the equation? I mean, Trump is skipping the second debate to go talk to him. Yeah. Because he fashions himself as a master negotiator, deal maker, which he is. And we'll see how far he gets. But this whole de- idea about, well, because you did achieve some degree of wealth, you don't know what it's like. It sounds so, so childish, so petty, right? Isn't that what kids say to their parents? You just don't know what it's like to be 13. Well, yeah, I do. I was 13 once. That's just silly, silly talk, honestly. And it means nothing. But why is the why is he even targeting politicians? What's that got to do with anything? This is a private matter between you and your employer. Leave the government out of it. Well, they've already called on Biden to put pressure on the big three. Well, of course. I abhor that, by the way. I've said it many times. This is government 
inserting itself into a matter where it should be hands-off, none your business. But they do it because they're looking for sympathy. Well, if I get the politicians to see it our way, then they'll make some crazy statements that'll get everybody all fired up and all that kind of junk. This, this whole idea that profit is a dirty word, that we, we compare the workers on the line in the factory to the person responsible for making the decisions, that literally can determine the fate of the company. Is it viable or not? Think about it like this. These companies rely on investors parking their hard-earned money like you with your 401k plans, into companies like this. They need that capital to invest, to expand, to research, to improve everything about their operations. They need that capital. Can't do it without money. So do you think they're listening to what the line worker's saying? Or the CEO. They don't hang on to every word of one line worker. Because you know what could happen? You've seen it. You get one person who's just mad about something. Some little nothing. And they only see the world myopically. And I'm not, I'm not trying to denounce or be disrespectful here. Not at all. I'm just trying to explain how the real world works. On the other hand, those investors especially institutional investors that control lots of the capital, they hang on to every dang last word that CEO says. That's all. That's who they care about. They are responsible. That's what they hang on to. And it's their job to be plugged in, to to understand all the aspects of that company, everything, all the factors affecting it now and in the future. Markets or discounting mechanisms for the future. That's what they're looking at. It's just crazy, this, this idea that, the, that um, the unions, I guess, implore the government and elected leaders to get involved. I, just, I disagree with it, totally. If profit is so bad, then why do the unions want more profit, says Darren and Jackson? Aren't some union pay scales based on minimum wage, and that's why the Dems want to keep raising the minimum wage yet in the Delta? I'm not sure, Ed. I, I mean, they're different contracts, of course. It could all be negotiated with all sorts of different provisions. You may be right. I don't know. I've never heard that, honestly, though, as a, as a reason for raising the minimum wage. Speaking of minimum wage, you've seen it in California. They're set to require fast food. Restaurants, I believe, you have to be at a certain level in terms of number of restaurants. Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks minimum wage for a fast food worker. You don't think they're working feverishly to replace those workers with automation? Of course they are. Because you know what happens then? A Big Mac's ten bucks. At least. Yeah, at least. And nobody's going to buy them. Nobody thinks about that aspect of it. Oh, they'll just absorb it. 
Okay, so if you absorb it and then that hurts your profit, then those investors I was talking about say, you guys aren't making much money. I'm not putting my money in there. And then they then they start laying people off, shutting down restaurants because they don't have any capital. That's just the aspect of just basic e- economics 101 they just never consider. And you know what? That's actually rooted in Marxist theory because Marxists believe that people don't produce for personal profit and benefit. Oh, they just do it out of the goodness of their heart for to serve the collective. Right. And anytime I see this fair share term, that's that's what I think about. Just let the market work, and that's just a foreign concept to so many of these people. Well, it's because letting the market work requires the vast majority of these people to not be so friggin' lazy. Yeah, I totally agree. Whether it's lazy now or lazy when they were supposed to be learning how to be good citizens when they were younger. Uh, Absolutely true. James in Hattiesburg says, I've worked in multiple factories in Mississippi, some good, some bad. The conditions in some of them were not humane. Mississippi needs to protect its workers better. Now, I would say, James, that, again, the market will sort that out. It'll punish those, especially in a tight labor market. When you've got a multitude of choices of employment, the market will punish those that have not established good working conditions, which includes... Everything from the physical environment to the pay, benefits, the culture, etc. Let the market work that out. And, man, I can't think of a time in my life where we have had such a tight labor market where employees have the upper hand on employers. Can't remember a time such as this. Half an hour left on Middays in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. In the Element Well studio, Shaq Bully in Biloxi on the ceasefire text line says, You cannot legislate for people to arbitrarily like one another. It is only successful when it happens organically. You're talking about this forced diversity, because that's really what all this DEI stuff is. You will hire this person, you will promote that person, you will pay this person, all based on nothing more than their physical attributes. Supreme Court just said, you can't do that anymore in college admissions. And now we're seeing lawsuits. All while admitting to sins you never committed. That's exactly right. That's absolutely right. In the distant past that you get tied to, you get connected to, simply because you're of the same race. And just they lay that at your feet as guilt, as a guilt trip. Really designed to think about it, subvert. Our, our legal system, our justice system, our laws, 
and um, and just our, our merit performance based society. That's what I see happening, honestly. It's you like excuse bad behavior because of one's physical attributes. And then you reward one solely because of their physical attributes. That's upside down. That's a recipe for mediocrity is what it is, what we're facing right now. We're seeing it especially in our schools. But you're seeing parents, fortunately, speak up against these very controversial curricula where there's just more focus on teaching all about this this uh, organization of society into oppressors and the oppressed, or all this crazy gender ideology. I read a report this morning from one of the widely consumed medical journals talking about how unfair it is to transgender students by not allowing biological males to participate in female sports. And they go through this this long discussion about how important it is to to participate and engage in extracurricular activities such as athletics. It's part of the school experience and just development as a child. I agree. But according to them, hey, unless the the biological male cannot participate in sports unless they can participate in female sports. That's the argument they were making, because they're just not comfortable playing with the other kids that are the same gender, assigned at birth, of course. Well, that's nonsense. Nobody is barring them from participating in sports. But where's the consideration for the girls? that are playing those sports, like the volleyball player that I think sustained permanent damage, if I'm not mistaken, playing at, uh, was it a high school level, I believe? The, uh, a male playing on the opposing volleyball team spikes the ball. Of course, I believe the net is lower for girls than it is boys playing volleyball at that level, and spikes it at close range, and the female player sustains a concussion if I'm not mistaken, is still suffering from that concussion, certain ailments as a result. Well, how is that fair? How does that even make common sense, honestly? So we accommodated this one person, which ultimately did physical harm to another. Where does that come into this equation, this nonsense? You you look it up, is that what happened? I think they still yeah, it's have a high school in North Carolina. And uh, back in April, the injured volleyball player spoke out and was talking about how she is still suffering from long-term concussion symptoms. How is that fair? How can that even make sense? And you know what? As far Nothing as I... the left tries to push on the world makes any sense. It's all about emotions and feelings. Well, that's the wrong approach to making decisions in society. So I say... Whomever in charge of the school, the district, wherever this, this rule, this policy came from that allows biological males to play in female sports, they got blood on their hands. It's because of you, this young high school girl is still suffering symptoms, medical problems, from a concussion that was totally avoidable 
had you not capitulated to the radical, woke, ideological left. That's exactly what that's all. Look at us. We let this male play female sports. We're better than you. We're morally superior to you. We're, we're, I can't stand that sanctimonious crap. I really can't. You're right, though, Shaq Bully. I agree with you to an extent. However, talking about the Mississippi plants, however, these plants are usually the only major employer in town. Unless you want to pack up and move your family, the owners of the plant can pretty much run the town when there are no competitors. Lots of Mississippi towns are like that. So you know what the solution to that is, James, in my view? It's grow the economy. That's why we need more pro-growth policies. Uh, a a uh, more inviting business environment, so there is more competition. I hear what you're saying, but that's that's how you do that. I mean, if they're breaking the law, James, in any way, heck, most of these plants, as you know, they got like full time OSHA people that are on site. If if they're doing that, so be it. They they need to pay the price for that. They need to be cited. They need, to, they need to correct that. But if they're not breaking the law, I just don't have a whole lot of sympathy in that situation. You forget, Gerard, that the state of Mississippi made the decision not to form a state plan for occupational safety and health as other states to help ensure Mississippi workers are working in safe conditions. This is Andy Jackson. Many Mississippi workers don't even know they're working in dangerous conditions. Federal OSHA responds after workers are severely injured or killed on the job. I need more information about that, Andy, but, I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people that work in plant environments, and, and they tell me, Andy, that they're OSHA workers that are full-time on site. I know, like, at the many food processing plants we have, because many of them were my customers, they're, they're carded, bona fide USDA inspectors that work in the plants. They're there, present, on the floors, doing their job, making sure that all that is in accordance with, with uh, federal standards and policy under USDA guidelines. What about the girls that don't feel comfortable playing against a male or a male in a locker room or a bathroom, Kevin and Monticello? Yeah, all that's part of this craziness. That's a sacrifice you have to make so that one person can have their feelings validated. I mean, the craziest thing, you're right, and that's exactly right, and it's uh, it's this tyranny of the minority. The craziest thing was, is it the state of Washington, I think, that adopted, I believe, statewide policy? that middle schools in the state have to place tampons in the boys' bathroom. For what? One person in the whole dang school? Maybe. And I bet you won't find them at every school. That just sounds nutty to me. Nutty. Crazy. Where is now National Organization for Women? That's Ed in the Delta. Why aren't they protecting women's rights? Ed, many conservatives have pointed that out, asked the same question as we have on the program. Because their politics align with the same politics of the people pushing all this nonsense. And they won't cross them. So they're cowards. That's what they are, in my view. By the way, tomorrow the entire Super Talk Mississippi gang will be live in New Albany to kick off the 2023 Tallahatchie River Festival. The Tallahatchie River Festival is presented by BNA Bank, Baptist Memorial Hospital, and Renaissance Bank. For more info, visit NewAlbanyMainStreet.com. This project is partially funded by a grant through Visit Mississippi. We're going to be there tomorrow. It's uh, looking like it's going to be great weather. Uh, we were outside last year, right off uh, the downtown area, at the end of the downtown Main Street area. Really neat town. 
by the way, uh, New Albany. Come by and see us. If you are in the area, we'd love to uh, shake your hand. I just double-checked on the OSHA thing, and yes, Mississippi is under federal OSHA jurisdiction. The only workers in the Magnolia State that are not covered by federal OSHA are state and local government workers. Okay. Well, that that's what I thought. I mean, that's again, that's just anecdotal, but friends I know that work in plant environments have said that there's OSHA people full-time. I know they're USDA. That's widely known. Uh, so it makes sense. But, but look, uh, to the point here, that if, if there's something going on, James and Hasberg, let us know. Give us give us some details and information. We'll see what we can find out about that. I mean, that no one should be forced to work in an unsafe, unclean, inhumane, as he said, environment. We don't certainly condone that. And, you know, if they're doing that and, and getting away with it, well, that's a problem. And, you know, again, the solution to that is more competition. More competition. That means that means promoting Mississippi as a place to set up shop, and that means that we have we have a pro growth economic policy in place that is conducive to economic expansion. That's how you get competition and improve things for everybody: workers, consumers, the companies. It's just capitalism. We're coming right back with a final segment on middays. Please stay with us. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone middays the market has paired its losses a bit now only down 165 <laughs> better than 300 probably uh, maybe a little oversold um, so we got the remote tomorrow in New Albany and on Friday we're on the road again at the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show off Highway 25 that's just south of Starkville there will be over 70 vendors showing off everything forestry from tractors, skidders, and haulers, along with presentations on anything and everything forestry. Brought to you by the Mississippi Loggers Association and the Mississippi Forestry Association. Last time I went, a couple of years ago, it's an outdoor event, of course. That's some big dang equipment that uh, cuts trees down and handles uh, the logging operations. It's impressive. It's very sophisticated, high-tech stuff. You look in the, um, in the cab atop those big old pieces of machinery, and the cab seems like it's about 20 feet in the air, but it's just one big pane of glass. Looks like an airplane cockpit, honestly. Very sophisticated. So we look forward to that. That's coming up this Friday. I'm taking a day off on Thursday. Dave will be in the chair. Appreciate that. I am honored to be a speaker at the Mississippi Society of CPAs conference. 
and looking forward to I'm I'm uh, <laughs> the title of my presentation is political myths. <laughs> we'll have some fun with that being in uh, a room with a lot of smart folks there at the Mississippi Society of CPAs. So, you know, this this information that James passed on um, about working conditions in Mississippi. Again, I don't want to see that. No, nobody is certainly supporting or, or condoning that. And uh, but there are inspectors on site that should be making sure that everything is in accordance with with standards and regulations for sure. You know, here at home, didn't really get to it today. But uh, here at home, we've got issues once again, well, not once again, but continuing, I should say, with the hospitals in the state. Greenwood LaFleur Hospital specifically is, uh, is one that you know has been struggling. And it looks like that, honestly, they are continuing to face economic problems. And I'm not sure what the future is for Greenwood LaFleur, but the interim CEO confirmed that their request to receive critical access hospital status has been denied by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid CMS. That's the regional office in Atlanta, federal agency. And what this means is that if they were to achieve and attain and be granted that status, their reimbursement under under the federal insurance programs would improve. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. And there's some rules around other hospitals that also have that status within certain certain radius of um, a hospital requesting same set status. And they, um, it is true that. They don't meet that standard. They thought maybe that CMS would help them out here, but they didn't. Little surprise. I believe they're appealing it, but in the past, they've really not ever overturned um, an initial decision. Carolyn McAdams, the mayor of Greenwood, been on the program before discussing the plight of the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital, reiterated her concern that the hospital would not be in as bad shape, or her assertion that the hospital would not be in as bad shape if Medicaid had been expanded. We've lost, quote, we've lost so much money by not receiving Medicaid expansion. Like I've said before, even the critical access would not fix the entire problem, but it would certainly go a long way, and so would the expansion of Medicaid. I do not believe that either of those changes would put the struggling hospital in the black from a financial perspective, just looking at how much money they are losing from a cash flow perspective. It's significant. And it would be hard to overcome that even with, with Medicaid uh, expansion. And it, it, But it'd be better than nothing. It'd be better than what they're getting now on so many of their patients who do not have any coverage, but still, of course, are treated and receive care in the hospital. They just don't pay for it. And uh, and so the hospital absorbs it. So it's a big problem. And honestly, I don't think anybody would be shocked if the hospital just ultimately succumbs to its financial plight before the end of the year. It uh, Just looking at their present financial situation, I don't know that they've got enough uh, 
enough financial assets and resources to hang on for much longer than that. Well, we're out of time here today in the Element Well studio. Once again, we're going to be up in New Albany for the Tallahatchie River Festival tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.